1: With Kevin Cerilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2.
2: President Trump gets ready for the G7 with Boris Johnson, the new UK Prime Minister. We'll have a complete preview of the G7 trade talks and tariffs and all of the rest. Plus, we dive headfirst into the 2020 campaign trail. Some new polls out, we'll get into them. And President Trump wants to buy Greenland. We haven't talked enough about that this week. What's the policy behind it? What does it really actually mean for the energy sector, for military? Uh, And yeah, we're going to talk about that. Lots to get through. Friday Eve, folks, we're almost there. Beautiful day. Beautiful day here inside of the Beltway. I'm joined by my good friend and colleague, Wendy Benjaminson, Bloomberg News 2020 politics editor. And Louis Miranda returns. He's the former communications director for The DNC. I want to start with the G7. I've been following this. I mean, we think that domestic politics is interesting when the world leaders all get together of the G7 countries. It is fascinating, especially with the chatter of an economic uh, recession looming globally on the forecast. But before we dive into the policy, I want to talk about who's not going to be there, Wendy, and that's Russia. Russia used to be a member. They did the Crimea situation, for lack of a better word. <laughs> he mean get,
6: invaded and took over. Yeah, no, yeah. exactly.
2: All right. And no, not, not not trying to make light of that at all, seriously. Um, and then they get the, the boot from from the G8, which becomes the G7, and President Trump circulating that potentially he would be okay with them rejoining. Take a listen to what President Trump uh, had to say at the American Veterans 75th National Convention earlier today in Louisville, Kentucky. Here he is.
3: We spend a lot of time talking about Russia at those meetings and they're not there. I think it would be a good thing if Russia were there so we can speak directly, not have to speak all the, you know, by telephone and other things. That was
2: President Trump yesterday, just to clarify, yesterday, uh, raising the issue that he would like to see Russia return to the G7. Wendy, why is he doing this?
6: Well, it's been Trump's position throughout most of his presidency that it's better to have to talk to people like Vladimir Putin than it is to to isolate them and keep them separate, which has been American foreign policy for a long time. And you're right. After Putin's country invaded Crimea, a sovereign part of a sovereign country, Ukraine, um, you know, they kicked him out. It's. It upends diplomatic policy to bring someone in who you think has misbehaved. If they've misbehaved, then they're not allowed at the party. Um, and the optics for Trump are really bad on this because the, the whole Russia-Muller investigation thing, he keeps trying to cozy up to Putin, and it just makes people crazy.
2: Lewis?
4: Uh, well, it just also just completely ignores the history of uh, Russian aggression. Um, going back to the Iron Curtain. (laughs) This is not something new. And so when Russia annexed Crimea, it wasn't only an attack on the Ukraine. It was a broader threat to a big chunk of the rest of Europe, including plenty of NATO members from Estonia to Latvia to Lithuania. And the United States has been working to shore up those allies precisely to push back on that Russian aggression. So the fact that he doesn't get that or that he's doing Putin's bidding... Uh, is is really dangerous for a number of countries and problematic for us.
2: I don't know, because there's part of me that, that when I talk to Republicans, the case that they make, they say, well, hey, wait a minute, I mean, it would save everybody the, the, the miles on the airplane just to get everybody in the same room. I mean, because essentially they're going to be having to talk to Russia, no matter what, about all of these different things. I mean, to to have all of the G7 countries there, Italy, the UK, France, Germany, uh, who am I forgetting? Uh, uh, you know, to have all of them over there and to not have Russia, you know, it's, how it's do you, true. Yeah.
6: Although the question, I think it's a question of trust. I think right. the no, other no, countries I'm not don't that, trust correct Putin to come and for there good and reason. Speak
2: truthfully. For, you know. for, for good reason. Yeah.
4: Yeah, look, in Estonia, the Russians, um, the day after, a uh, couple days after Obama was there visiting, they, they went in and kidnapped uh, an Estonian uh, security officer. They put him on a show puppet trial. They then used him as leverage to negotiate. I mean, there's a legitimate threat that the Russians are posing that Donald Trump is ignoring, uh, including to our election security. And so it's, it's one thing to invite them as a non-participant member to maybe have side discussions. But the, the whole question is, do you turn it into the G8 again? And, and the reality is, is that the, the threat that they pose has not been resolved in a way where uh, it makes sense to, to give them all carrots and no sticks.
2: Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, and the United Kingdom, as well as the United States. There's your trivia for today. All of the G7 countries. All right, let's talk policy. They have a lot to talk about. So the Bloomberg Terminal, uh, headline crossing the Bloomberg Terminal, Wendy, earlier today says that President Trump's going to actually have... Dinner, I believe, or they're going to share a meal with UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson on Sunday. Oh, to be a fly on the oh, wall! First of all, gosh. what's on the menu? Second of all, <laughs> this is like Warren meeting her
4: doppelganger. Yeah, that's. <laughs> right. By the way,
2: we're going to talk 2020 coming up later uh, in the program, and that went viral, caught my attention. I had to double take. Uh, it was like it was like the Madame Tussauds wax museum. Um, but back on the G7, I, I mean, wow because I've been talking to sources in the international world and they are kind of reading the tea leaves here that President Trump feels emboldened now at having a buddy in Boris Johnson as he, you know, has to deal with French President Emmanuel Macron as well as uh, you know Angela Merkel
6: Angela Merkel yeah. who is on her way out. Right. So, wow. Yeah, that I would love to be a fly on the wall at that meeting. I doubt, you know, the menu will probably be a little more pedestrians that are usually at these at a U.K. sort of thing, because I think neither of them are really into, you know, haute cuisine. But the uh, so, you know, a couple of cheeseburgers, um, you know, a couple of Cokes. But um, yeah, I mean, the two are sort of, you know, reflections of each other in some way. So it it should be interesting. And maybe, yeah, maybe Trump has a new best friend in Europe. He could use one.
2: All right. Uh, Coming up, we're going to talk China, U.S.-China trade policy. We're also going to talk about Greenland. And and what's going on in Israel and the 2020 campaign trail panel is going to stay. Wendy Benjaminson, Bloomberg News 2020 politics editor. Louis Miranda, former DNC communications director. You can download the Bloomberg Sound on podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. We kicked it off with the G7 because I think it is truthfully one of the most important stories happening in the world for the next uh, week or so. I'm Kevin Cirilli, chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg TV and radio. You're listening to Bloomberg
1: 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2.
3: Somebody had to do it. I am the chosen one. Somebody had to do it. So I'm taking on China.
2: President Trump says he is the chosen one. That was yesterday on his way to Louisville, Kentucky for an event He was asked whether or not he's concerned that his trade policies are causing problems. For the U.S. economy, I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television, Bloomberg Radio. The president says he's taking on China headlines crossing the Bloomberg terminal now. Larry Kudlow, one of the president's top economic advisors, saying on Fox Business that it's possible tax proposals would be for middle class and be rolled out sometime In the 2020 campaign, he also, Larry Kudlow, saying he remains very optimistic over the economy. Luis Miranda is here in studio, former Democratic National Committee communications director, as is Wendy Benjaminson, Bloomberg News 2020 politics editor. Wendy, the dynamics of a recession now playing out in real time. You have the president saying he's the chosen one to take on China. Larry Kudlow openly suggesting tax reform might be on the horizon in the 2020 campaign season.
6: And we thought tax reform was over with the 2017 (laughs) tax law where they cut them pretty low. So, um, yes, the administration is probably very scared behind all the happy talk about the warning signs of a recession. Larry Kudlow understands this. All his economic advisors understand this. And Trump probably understands it too. So what's the best thing to do is make people feel like, uh, you know, the economy isn't going to hurt them, so we'll give them a tax cut.
2: I got to be honest here; it, it's very uncomfortable to talk about the political dynamics of a potential economic recession. Just, you know, I mean, this is such a real anxiety, really, for for all Americans. So to to go in and out of talking about a recession, a recession, and the possibility of one, and what that means for people, what that means for Folks trying to retire, for for young people who are still trying to launch their, their careers. I mean, it's it's crazy to, to me that 10 years after, two, uh, 11 years after 2008, that, that this is even something that's being discussed and that, that market watchers are, are starting to factor into their calculation. I mean, we were earlier talking about the G7 and it just seems like everyone's predicting that Europe will go through some type of recession um, in the next year. It's, it's a bit bizarre to talk about the political implications, Louis Miranda, but I, I do have to ask you about it because the Democrats are, are saying, well, this is Trump's recession. And now President Trump is essentially saying, well, this is not going to be a, an election about a recession. It's going to be an election about cutting taxes. So the right will say Democrats want to raise your taxes and the left will say we're going to go into a recession unless a Democrat takes over.
4: Uh, and, you know, it may well happen before a Democrat takes over. And and I think that's what has the White House so scared. And that's why it has political implications, because uh, there's a pretty good chance that it's not going to wait till 2021 20, after somebody has been uh, sworn in to replace Donald Trump. Uh, God willing. Um, but the, the, the bigger challenge here for Trump is that he's he's being he's all over the place on this. So if he's continuing to sell that his tax cuts uh, were so great, then this talk about the payroll tax cut, even though it. In theory, in theory, it's meant to help him. Also, undercuts that agreement because, or, or that argument, because it clearly suggests that he hasn't done enough. Uh, and at the same time, while he's talking about taking on the Chinese, he's taking them on over the wrong issues, uh, because the tariff wasn't the problem. It's intellectual property theft. Uh, it's them dumping products like you know solar panels and other things on on our market. Uh, it's them playing unfairly and taking over so much that without being as part of the TPP, we just can't now be present in in a lot of markets in the way we otherwise might have been. And so he's diagnosed the right problem, but he's doing the wrong thing on on the tariffs
6: right exactly and also what is not being factored in in their talk about tax cuts is that the tax law of 2017 already blew a big hole in the budget deficit not bringing in as much revenue as as had been coming in before and to cut taxes even further is going to blow a bigger hole in the deficit which also burdens the u.s debt problem so it may sound good at a campaign rally but it's not good for the economy
2: all of this was really kick-started uh, the other week when the um, the this, the yield curve inverted and the the 10-year inverted yield curve is the economic indicator that folks have have used as a predictor as to whether or not there will be a recession I'm just struck by why there isn't why lawmakers I mean if, if there's all this chatter about there being a recession you know I, I'm I'm old enough to remember when when John McCain was the Republican nominee and and got off the campaign trail against Obama, came back to to Congress and said, you know, we've got to do something with this this economy. For Senator Elizabeth Warren, and we'll dive into the polls coming up, but for Senator Elizabeth Warren, who was really the professor-in-chief back during the last financial crisis, really navigated TARP, navigated all of the too-big-to-fail environment, created the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, I, I mean, politically speaking, what, what, how, how will the, how will Democrats talk about this, in terms of the, uh, not just, not necessarily on the campaign trail, but how will a recession shift the conversation within the Democratic Party as a whole, us?
4: Well, and part of the challenge here is that the a recession versus the type of financial crisis that we saw in two thousand eight are, are two different things. It, it doesn't how it, because, that's important because it can be a a short term recession. Um, It can, you know, a recession is simply uh, a couple of quarters of negative growth, uh, which is far different from a financial crisis where the entire housing market is collapsing, where General Motors and Chrysler are going bankrupt. I don't even want to be reminded of all that. Where, you know, you lost, uh, I think, was it 400,000 jobs in the last uh, six months of the Bush administration. Um, So that was a crisis where John McCain had to come off the campaign trail. Uh, Barack Obama did as well. And they actually had a White House meeting and talked about some of the things that they were going to work on together and all support to try to get past that. Uh, that's very different. And, and I think that's where Democrats have a challenge is that there there is a recession that is likely to come, uh, but is it going to be felt widely enough uh, or resonate enough to, to have a political impact? And, you know, nobody wants to see that because you don't want to have to see, uh, as you were saying, Americans go through that kind of uh, situation again.
2: People don't want to see their neighbors lose their jobs.
4: Exactly. Exactly. But at the same time. Um, it's, it, you know, they can't hang their hats on it because it's, it's likely not going to be deep enough before the end of the, before the election. And, and there's a lot more that they have to uh, talk about. So they can't take the bait and talk about just payroll taxes. Uh, they can't take the bait um, on, on some of the other things like uh, race baiting and things like that, that Donald Trump wants to make the focus. They're going to have to make smart arguments about how they're going to actually strengthen the economy and if we do start to pull into a recession democrats have proven time and again they're the ones to pull it back out whether it was bill clinton or barack obama we know how to get the economy humming again
2: our republicans would disagree just to balance because we don't have a, our we had a last minute scheduling conflict for our republican friend who would have <laughs> been here but i will just say they would very much disagree with that but go ahead well
6: i was going to say that Louise is absolutely right. The trouble is that Elizabeth Warren is talking very deeply about economic policy. She writes all these medium posts that, you know, I said this in 2008 and I'll say I it again. I love what you just said that
2: she writes all these medium posts because she does. She does. That's how we find out what's going on. No, I know because they don't. Yeah, go but ahead.
6: Frontrunner Joe Biden Hasn't said anything about know. the economy very deeply. He hasn't said much. He he does talk a lot about the problems he sees with the Trump presidency and the you know age of incivility that we're in. But the front runner. Isn't talking about the key issues, but of the, the frontrunner just it it, we're going to we're going to talk
2: about the polls. But the front runner once again is a twenty a, a double digit lead in the latest <laughs> the latest. CNN. Maybe
6: not talking about national poll because Biden's
2: it. making it a, a personality contest. Warren's making it a policy contest. Coming up, we're going to talk. Are we going to buy Greenland? Are we going to buy Greenland? I'm getting to the bottom <laughs> of this. I want to get to the bottom of this. Wendy Benjaminson's going to help me dig my way through it. Bloomberg News 2020 Politics Editor, Louis Miranda, former DNC Communications. director, Director, download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg business app. You can also find us on radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 991.
5: Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor centric firm built for successful advisors like you. So, there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com.
0: Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE.
1: This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2.
2: I'm Kevin Cirilli, chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television, Bloomberg Radio. Wendy Benjamin's here. She's the Bloomberg News 2020 Politics editor, quickly becoming one of my favorite panelists and colleagues. Thank you, Wendy, for being here. Thank I don't play kind. favorites. Sorry if anybody else is listening. Louis <laughs> Miranda's here, former DNC Communications Director. Wendy, are we going to buy Greenland?
6: I don't think so.
2: What? Okay. <laughs> I know everybody's laughing about, but what Let's just go through the TikTok. What exactly happened? Why are we even talking about this? Why? What is what is the policy
6: behind all of this? Well, policy might be a hard thing to come up with, but. Donald Trump, for some reason, started asking aides whether he could buy Greenland. It's a big piece of real estate that, you know, he is it has apparently interested in buying. If you want to apply some policy to it, it is a highly strategic piece of land owned by Denmark, which is is a country, you know, a small fraction of the size of Greenland. Greenland is a very icy place. There have been scary climate change stories that talk about how the ice in Greenland is melting. So that could make Greenland possibly a strategic place, although they're all are already u s military bases there because it's near russia it's near the Arctic and all that, so why we have to own it seems to be a mystery to the entire city of washington d c yeah
2: no another reason you mentioned global warming i mean if, if all of these glaciers up in Greenland melt away, it opens up uh, it, it, it opens up shipping lanes it opens up trading routes, and that uh could obviously prove to be incredibly financially Resourceful. Plus, right, you've got all these already... untapped natural golf course land up there. Perhaps? Well, <laughs> the, did you see the president's Instagram on that? He literally posted on his Instagram account, Greenland, and said, and, and like plotted a, a Trump hotel building and said, like, I wouldn't do that. I don't want to Well, it gets
4: him a little closer to the Moscow hotel he wants. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh,
2: Lewis, not that kind of show. Come on, buddy. But it would, there's a lot of untapped natural resources. And, yes. and so, financially, I mean, there's a lot of people who are. Looking at Greenland as saying, "Well, hey, wait a minute. I mean, there there are a lot of resources there, uh, and that's sort of the policy behind it." I, I see you. I see you looking at me, Wendy. But I, let's stay with me. There's a huge. There's a huge U.S. military base yes. in Greenland as well, and we're
6: allies with Denmark. I mean, we have access to Greenland now. At least now we're allies with Denmark. i you know, hopefully we. So well, the well they got it in Denmark. this whole back
2: and forth. I mean, if you if you're if you've been following this, the Danish Prime Minister Frederiksen, she was asked uh, on a visit to Greenland. On Sunday if, if whether or not she thought any of this was a good idea and she called it quote-unquote absurd Greenland is not for sale she said Greenland is not Danish Greenland is Greenlandic I really hope that it's not something that is seriously meant
4: well and you have to have a concern about where Russian interests in here because if you look at the Arctic Circle uh, there's been a ton of melting and uh, exposing of uh, land and other natural resources that the Russians particularly have been aggressive at exploiting, and that there's basically a race to make sure that, that it either stays international in certain areas or that uh, whoever's tapping into different uh, parts of that is, is doing so correctly. Uh, and you have to wonder where Greenland on, on, in that direction uh, could potentially play a strategic role. Uh, but the Russians have certainly been the most effective slash aggressive at, at at doing that. And and so you have to wonder if, if Donald Trump is listening there, too.
2: Well, for to space someone. exploration as well. I mean, that region is incredibly vital and important as well. So President Trump didn't like what Prime Minister Fredrickson had to say about all of this. He canceled uh, the trip earlier this week that was scheduled in September to, to visit with Prime Minister Fredrickson. Uh, he didn't like that she called it, quote-unquote, absurd. Take a listen to the president's response yesterday on his way to Louisville, Kentucky. Here's President Trump.
3: I looked forward to going, but I thought that the prime minister's statement that it was absurd, that was a, it was an absurd idea, it was nasty. I thought it was an inappropriate statement.
2: Wendy?
6: Well, she's entitled to her opinion. Um, even as many past presidents have said, even the U.S. has disagreements with even its closest allies. And I did notice that nasty is a word the president reserves for comments that women have made. Um, so he says lots of other horrible things about men, but nasty is a particular key word for women leaders.
4: Yeah, no, I think that's right. And and it's, uh, it's disrespectful. It's also... Uh, problematic as he heads into the G7, basically insulting our allies and cozying up to Russia. So it just continues to play into that broader theme of whose interests is he really serving?
6: Right, and also there, remember, there is this um, diplomatic group called the Arctic Council, which is made up of every country that has a border along the Arctic Circle, including the U.S. because of Alaska, Canada, Russia, and China gets a part of that because Russia wanted them to, but. They are all working on the, the open shipping lanes that are opening in the Arctic and things like that. So there's there's really no reason for the U.S. to have to own Greenland.
2: How many people do you think I'm going to quiz you both pop quiz? How many people <laughs> live on the island of Greenland?
6: Forty something thousand, I think, but I read that on Bloomberg. So. I was gonna say
4: thirty something, but fifty-eight thousand. Okay, 000. even that okay. is like—I mean, that's no, hey,
6: that's bigger
2: than Pete Buttigieg. It's still like Pete <laughs> Buttigieg's uh, town <talent laughs> in South Bend, Indiana. I guess it's a little smaller. I guess, I guess it's a little smaller. Um, it's the largest island in the world. Eighty percent are of the of these of the square mileage of of uh, Greenland are ice capped. Uh, and they've been self-ruled since 1979, but they're Danish, right. the residents of the island, and they've got a ton of resources there: coal, zinc, copper, iron, and ore, uh, and and rare miner- rare minerals. CNBC has a great, CNBC.com has a great policy dive that we also have on Bloomberg Terminal as well. Uh, but credit where credit is due. Coming up, we're going to talk what's on our radar. Uh, We got to talk U.S.-Israeli relations. We're also going to discuss the 2020 political campaign as we head into another August weekend. We're almost there, folks. It's Friday eve. Wendy Benjaminson stays. Bloomberg News 2020 politics editor Louis Miranda Former DNC communications director, download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1.
1: This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2.
2: I'm Kevin Cirilli. Happy Friday e folks. I'm Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television, Bloomberg Radio. It's time for what's become one of my favorite segments to do on the show, which is what's on your radar. Here, in the when I was a print reporter, we would always say, empty out your notebook. My editors, Craig Gordon, he would always say, empty out your notebook, empty out your notebook. What's in the notebook? Uh, and what that means is what's one thing that you're following, that you're tracking, that maybe isn't getting enough news. Greenland's been on my radar, but we talked about it earlier because it's just everywhere now. It's on everybody's... Radar, as the president has said, but uh, here with me to find out what's on their radars, Wendy Benjaminson, Bloomberg News, twenty twenty politics editor, Louis Miranda, former DNC communications director. I'm going to start with you, Louis. What is on
4: Louis Miranda's radar? Well, I think Israel should be on our radar because, and not in the way that it has been, because I think that Donald Trump's um, divisive uh, effort there to get uh, these two uh, members of the squad, members of Congress. To be uninvited or to be told that they can't come. Um, I think it just plays into the politics for both sides. It works for for uh, the two Congresswomen. It works for him in a political way uh, that that is good for their base. But ultimately, I think it's bad for Israel. It's bad for our relationship for Israel. It's bad for the Jewish people generally, I think, in, in the way that it plays out. And so it's just one more example of sinister uh, political ploys that, that really hurt.
2: President Trump, to your point, was uh, asked about this yesterday. Take a listen to what President Trump had to say about uh, Israel and the upcoming elections. Here he is.
3: You vote for a Democrat. You're being very disloyal to Jewish people and you're being very disloyal to Israel. And only weak people would say anything other than that.
2: Senator Elizabeth Warren, who is now a top-tier presidential candidate, was asked to respond to that while talking briefly to reporters after a campaign event in L.A. last night. Here's Elizabeth Warren.
6: The president's comments are disgusting. Uh, And once again, Donald Trump trying to distract from the fact that he is a failing president by every measure.
2: Lewis. I mean, you hear Elizabeth Warren's response. You hear what the president had to say earlier uh, to that. But the president is trying to make AOC, the squad, Rashida Tlaib, uh, and Ilhan Omar to be the foreign policy experts of the Democratic
4: Party. No? It's a cynical ploy. It's effective, I think, to a certain degree. You do think um, it's effective there, to a certain degree. I think that there's been enough backlash that it's maybe not as wide-ranging as he had hoped it would be. But I think in the end, there, there's there's some effect, and it's something that we have to be um, on the lookout for and not take the bait. I think, ultimately, uh, he is not a, a honest or genuine in, in, in how he's talking about Israel generally um but i also don't think that ilhan omar is the best person to be on the other side of that uh, like i said i think it helps both of their bases and both of them to to play up politically but it's bad ultimately for israel the jewish people for our relationship with israel i think it's, it's and just us a bad foreign call, policy right? us foreign policy it's just yeah
2: bad i I'm, i i i think that it's going to be fascinating to watch how speaker nancy pelosi or, recalculates all of this when lawmakers return from recess uh, because so much has gone on and that'll be right around the time of Israeli elections. Uh, as well. So I, I mean, there's a lot of moving parts here in terms of just how quickly this, this situation could evolve. So that's very much on your radar. It's on my radar as well. Uh, the president's talking about it. It's out there on the on the campaign trail. Wendy Benjaminson, what's on your radar?
6: Well, of course, the 2020 campaign and discerning who the Democratic presidential nominee will be. But more interesting to me uh, this week is the burgeoning Republican primary. Ooh. Yeah. Trump, I mean, Trump's going to be the nominee. The party's not going to give any of these guys attention, but but a couple of the people that are either in or thinking about it are not ridiculous figures. Who? Former South Carolina Governor Mark Sanford, um, possibly Ohio former Ohio Governor John Kasich. These guys, you know, have street cred, and they might challenge Trump, even if Trump is the nominee. If people vote for them, it could damage Trump. I mean, I think.
2: I mean, I'm I, I, I'm a reporter, but based upon my reporting of everything that I know about Trump world, I think that he would welcome the opportunity to have a nationally televised debate against John Kasich.
6: I think he would, too. <laughs> if he wanted to be strategic about it, he would completely ignore these guys and never tweet I don't about think them he's and never mention I'm their I'm old names.
2: enough to remember when he challenged Bernie <laughs> Sanders <laughs> to a debate back during the Democratic primary when when Bernie couldn't get Hillary to go to the You're debate. You're more than
6: five years <laughs> old. <that> <laughs> I mean? well,
4: it would have been an interesting debate since they talk so similarly about things like TPP and other issues, right? Uh, that's right, that's right.
2: <laughs> uh, But no, I mean, but seriously, I mean, I don't think the... the President Trump's political orbit is taken seriously at all, Mark Sanford or, no, or or John Kasich. No, nor will the
6: Republican Party. But it sure makes it interesting.
2: So how? What what effect could it have though if they run as an independent? If 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 a Kasich were to run as an independent and it and it shaves off, I don't know, like point. If it gives, if it gives never Trumpers an alternative to show up in November of 2020.
6: I think it would give. Guys like our friend Lewis here, Agita. I mean, if, if there's a three-way race, as we saw when Ross Perot ran against Clinton and Bush, was that it? Yeah. Um, you know, it but, divides the anti-Trump vote, and that wouldn't be good for Democrats. And uh, you... Oh, I, see, I would have thought the other way.
2: I would have thought if, if Never Trumpers went out and voted for the Never Trump candidate that it would
6: hurt Trump, you're saying it, it would hurt the in the, the Republican Democrats. primary, but in the general.
4: Wow. okay, you know, It's hard to tell how that would cut. I mean, if you look at Gary Johnson and Jill Stein in the three states, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania, their vote totals far exceeded uh, Donald Trump's margin of victory, where he would get maybe 10,000 votes uh, over the top there there was a like 100, 130,000 vote difference in, in those states. So, so it cost Hillary. It cost Hillary. Right, yeah, that's With Kerry Johnson yeah. and Jill Stein. I can see, though, what you're saying. I hadn't thought of it that way, but it could cut both ways on this yeah. one.
2: Interesting, interesting. There's a poll out, just to stick with the campaign, just briefly, uh, on Bloomberg's uh, campaign tracker, which, by the way, I'm obsessed with. Go to Bloomberg.com, and you can literally track all of the latest polls and whatnot. Uh, Democrats, beware, reads the headline from Emma Kinnery's reporting. Uh, Democrats beware, a huge majority of Americans believe impeaching Donald Trump would fail, and some believe it might even boost his re-election effort, according to a new Ma- Mammoth University poll. That's kind of interesting. The survey shows 75% of respondents believed it would be unlikely that Trump would be convicted in the Republican-controlled Senate, even if he were impeached by the Democratic-led House. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, polls suggest that they think that impeachment would help, would help President Trump. All right, so that's what's on your radar. You know what's on my radar? I'm going to get nerdy. I, I, because I, I I don't even think it's nerdiness, but I think tracking this, whether or not there's going to be a recession, is something that every American is is obsessed with and, and fearful over if there's going to be any type of, uh, of recession. And there's a divide to get into the weeds uh, between what the president is saying he wants Fed Chair Jay Powell to do with regards to lowering interest rates and what... Uh, three Federal Reserve policymakers are urging Fed Chair Jay Powell to do so. Talk about being stuck in the middle, Jay Powell. Now, in between President Trump, who is urging them or is urging him to slash rates, and now three Federal Reserve policymakers who are saying they are resisting the notion that the U.S. economy needs lower interest rates. So there's a divide. I mean, talk about. It's like I'm having flashbacks to Andrew Ross Sorkin's "Too Big to Fail" about all of the. But this is so incredibly important for whether or not there's going to be some type of economic recession and the politics of this that we're watching in real time where President Trump is openly criticizing the central bank because he feels that the central bankers in Europe can be much more agile and Asia as well can be much more agile in reacting in trade negotiations and whatnot to give their countries a leg up on international negotiations. It's fascinating. And quite frankly, I think it's going to outlast this White House. I think that whomever occupies the White House will very much be uh, taking this political playbook in terms of trying to to put some type of pressure on the central bank, maybe not via tweet, but to influence in the global economy uh, how the U.S. does business that's what's on my radar wendy benjaminson thanks for being here bloomberg news 2020 politics editor thank you for being happy to be here as well lewis miranda former dnc communications thanks, director always appreciate Louis miranda coming in uh, our neighbor, Louis Miranda, former <laughs> DNC communications director. You can download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1.